Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. There's an update in the Electra fire that's been burning since Monday in two remote California communities in the Sierra Nevada gold country. The wildfire is now about 10 percent contained. Still, nearly 1,000 residents in Amador and Calaveras counties are under mandatory evacuation. Chris Vestal is the public information officer with the Electra Fire. He urges people living in the area to heed the evacuation orders. When we're giving those orders, we're doing it because we firmly believe that your life is at risk. So be ready, set, go. Go to readyforwildfire.org. Find the information that you need to be prepared. Officer Vestal says nearly 4,000 acres have burned so far, and another 1,200 structures are threatened. Firefighters will continue to work through the day to get a handle on the fire, while the cause of this wildfire is still under investigation. California's current coronavirus mutation is being described by experts as a whole new ball game. Bob Wachter is the UCSF Chair of Medicine. He says this BA5 Omicron subvariant is about 20 percent more infectious than the first Omicron we saw. But Wachter says infection is not inevitable. And the goal is the same. Try not to get it. You should get vaccinated and you should get boosted. If you're over 50, get your second booster. But there's no sort of skirting around. The only way to prevent getting it is to wear a good mask in crowded indoor spaces to pay attention to ventilation. I'm not doing indoor dining right now until the case rates come way down. I think if you're going to try to avoid getting it, That is what you need to do. And just being vaccinated and boosted is not good enough to prevent you from getting it. Still, Wachter says at this point, requiring masks may not be the best option. You know, mask mandates are very controversial. And I'm I'm sort of of the mindset that we should reserve them for when we really need them. I, I realize that there are many people who say there's a ton of cases around now. You know, it's time for mandates. But I think As individuals now, we can keep ourselves safe. I'm in the hospital right now. I wear an N95 when I go see my patients, even if they have COVID. I'm pretty confident I'm not going to get COVID from them. If I'm vaccinated, boosted, and wearing a good mask, I think you can keep yourself safe. So I think mandates are appropriate if hospitals are getting overwhelmed. 
A new report out from University of California researchers looks into what the state could have done to better protect prisoners and prison workers during the pandemic. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. When the pandemic hit, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation housed around 120,000 prisoners. Research shows more than 50,000 of them had contracted COVID-19 by the end of 2021. More than 16,000 prison staffers have also been infected. The new report highlights both how near impossible it is to effectively contain the spread of COVID-19 in a prison environment and how prisons drive COVID upticks in the communities where they're located and vice versa. David Sears is an infectious disease physician at UCSF with a special interest in incarceration issues and says adjusting CDCR vaccine mandates could be an important step in addressing this issue. I really think that a staff vaccine mandate is absolutely important and and could make a big difference, particularly if that is paired with other measures to reduce the risk of introduction. CDCR did expedite the release of thousands of prisoners to help offset the prison overpopulation that spurred the spread of COVID-19. But Sears says it hasn't made a substantive dent in the risk. A lot of that decrease in population actually was just periodic halts and transfers from county jails. And so in some ways, it, it, it slightly lessened the risk uh, within a prison, but in many ways left people in in carceral settings where they were just as vulnerable, such as jails. And Sears says the risks are still high with new, even more infectious variants. In a statement, CDCR told KQED its vaccination education campaigns have led to an 81 percent vaccination rate among prisoners and a 73 percent vaccination rate among staff, and that it remains committed to the health and safety of those who live and work in its facilities. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. In just a couple weeks, people with mental health emergencies should be able to call 988 for help. KPCC's Robert Garova checked in on how preparations are going ahead of the numbers launch. Mental health nonprofits across the state are training hundreds of counselors to answer emergency calls in anticipation of a new national hotline set to launch on July 16th. The number is 988, which is meant to be easier to remember than 1-800 numbers. Sherry Sinwelski, VP of Crisis Care for Dee Dee Hirsch Mental Health Services, says they're expecting two to threefold the volume of calls, chats, and texts they already get to the suicide prevention hotline they run. Hopefully down the road, it'll be something that's as commonplace for somebody to call 988 if they're having a mental health crisis as it would be for someone to call 911 if they're having a heart attack. She hopes that 988 will help mitigate long response times to psychiatric emergencies, which in Los Angeles can take up to a day. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. Now let's go to a park in South Los Angeles, where every Sunday, hundreds of people show up for a free yoga class. But this class isn't just for fitness. It started as a protest against Black lives lost to violence. KCRW's Megan Jamerson reports that when so many groups that formed after the death of George Floyd are no longer around, this community group is still going strong. It was June 2020, and Marley Ralph's cousin, Etienne Maurice, organized a protest run in memory of Ahmaud Arbery. Marley was helping out. Over 400 people showed up. And then it was right before we were about to start the run, and Etienne was like, 
should we do some stretches? You should lead us through some stretches. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to lead us through some stretches. I was a little nervous at first. But within that moment, I looked around and people had a moment of just silence, of just breathing, of just existing. And I think that we all felt what that felt like of having a pause amongst all of this chaos. And then it really moved both of us. And Etienne was like, yo, we should probably come back tomorrow and do this again. Come back next weekend. We should probably do this again. And so we did. And then um, we did 10 weeks of protesting on Saturdays and yoga on Sundays. And then yoga was the one that kept going, was our form of protest. And now here we are two years later. The cousins decided to call their wellness movement Walk Good LA. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Marley is a yoga instructor. Etienne Maurice is a film producer. And his sister, Ivy Coco Maurice, who is a content creator and entrepreneur, is the third founding member of the group. She says all the free activities they host now, including yoga, runs, and hikes, are rooted in lessons they learned from their grandmother. Even the name Walk Good LA comes from the Jamaican euphemism she raised them on. Walk good means to go about your day in good stride, to take care, to make sure you look both ways when crossing the street. Whatever that means to go about your day in a healthy and safe way, that's what walk good means. Know that you have the potential to be a better version of yourself when you leave this space. Maybe you stay right where you are. Or maybe you bring your left hand to your heart and your right hand to your lower belly. Right now, at this space at Kenneth Hahn Park, the hour-long yoga class is underway. Lenny Gator has been coming to these free classes since they started two years ago, when he learned that they were a response to violence against Black lives. It's just a different way to respond, you know what I mean? And a way that uplifts us, builds community, makes us stronger, you know, makes us feel better. Nearby, Christine Gomez brought her husband with her to introduce him to the practice of yoga. I was like, come do yoga with black people. (laughs) Like, it's all people of color, and it's a really cool vibe. Her husband, Joe, likes the idea of making this a weekly couple's outing after noticing how the class made him feel. I feel... I feel like it's more open. I was a little hesitant at first, but then now we're doing uh, yoga. Like, I want to say for the first time, it felt really good. And that's the simple feeling of relaxation that Etienne hopes participants leave with and are able to carry with them throughout the week. One thing we always used to say when we were protesting, we'd say, this is a movement, not a moment. And we've legit created a movement out of healing and community. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. Hi there, I'm Randa Fatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. 
Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. San Diego City employees who refuse both to be vaccinated and tested for COVID-19 on religious grounds are now at risk of being fired. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Trageser has been following the story. The city confirmed it has issued advance notice of termination letters to at least three dozen employees, half of them in the San Diego Police Department. KPBS obtained the letter templates through a Public Records Act. The letters say the employee's refusal to take COVID tests, quote, amounts to insubordination or serious breach of discipline. But the letters are just the beginning of the city's dismissal process for the workers, says city spokesperson Nicole Darling. So city employees who were granted an exemption from the COVID-19 vaccination mandate are required to do the weekly testing. There are several employees in the police department who have failed to comply with that weekly testing accommodation. So those who fail to comply will be issued an advance notice of termination and they will be afforded all of their due process rights and their rights to representation. The city of San Diego approved the vast majority of requests to skip the COVID vaccine for religious reasons, but with the requirement that those employees then submit to regular testing. But about 10 percent of employees, most of them police, also insisted that testing violates their religious beliefs. They said their Christian beliefs instruct them not to use testing swabs because they contain ethylene oxide. The chemical is a known carcinogen, but it is not actually present on the swabs. It's used as a gas to sterilize them. Medical and religious experts say the employees' claims are groundless. KPBS asked Mayor Todd Gloria for his response to the claims. I think we have been exceedingly patient. Uh, with these folks. We have worked on this on an individual basis to understand where they're at and what the concerns are. Um, And so to the extent that individuals can be out of compliance and continue to work, uh, that is not ideal. Uh, But we, of course, will follow our due process for these individuals and hope, as the vast majority of them have, uh, that they'll come into compliance. Employees can appeal and then go through what's called a Skelly hearing. After that, if the city still decides to fire the employee, he or she would get a notice of termination from the department head. For The California Report, I'm Claire Tregesser in San Diego. And finally, the Coachella Valley Firebirds have made history, hiring the first full-time female assistant coach in American Hockey League history. Jessica Campbell, whose hiring was announced yesterday, has recently worked with a U.S. Hockey League development team and was an assistant coach with Germany at the International Hockey Federation Men's World Championships. She says she hopes to be an example for girls. I never saw a female coach, so I never dreamt being a coach. Maybe that dream would have been different as a young kid, even transitioning out of playing. But now I'm, I'm really excited to be able to bring that and, and just to stand in that space and hold that space to hopefully do a great job to continue opening that path for others. The Firebirds will drop the puck on their first season this fall as a minor league affiliate of the NHL's Seattle Kraken. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, July 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. 
Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 